Welcome to Scouting for Growth, the podcast where we delve into the minds of the world's leading entrepreneurs, investors, and corporate transformation leaders. I'm your host, Sabine Van Der Linden, and today we have a special guest who will help us navigate the future of leadership beyond 2024. So joining us is Tom Caresti a seasoned leader with a wealth of experience in starting and scaling companies. Tom has been instrumental in numerous M&A activities, helping startups structure their operations for successful exits. He has also navigated the unique challenges of starting a company independently, as well as within large organizations. His insights will be invaluable for you, whether you are an entrepreneur, an investor, or a corporate leader. In this episode, we will explore the evolving leadership requirements in the post-2024 landscape. We will discuss how the four criteria of success, which actually stand in the book C-Suite and Beyond, stands within small and large organizations and how to define and drive success in the modern business world. As we navigate the future of work, technology, and challenging societal contexts, understanding these leadership requirements will be vital. As we are finishing the year, this episode is designed to inspire you, senior leaders, to think differently on ways to drive sustainable growth in a turbulent, evolving, and challenging landscape. Stay tuned as we embark on this enlightening journey with Tom Kirsty, exploring the top leadership requirements post-2024 on Scouting for Growth. So let's welcome Tom. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Welcome. Hi, Sabine. Thanks for having me. So, Tom, the first question I ask all my guests is, you know, can you give us a brief introduction about you, your background? You know, what got you to where you are today and what inspired you to write the book, C-Suite and Beyond? Well, it's a question I get asked many times, and my best way to answer that is not just for myself, but for any individual, they should be able to answer these three questions. You know, the first question is, who are you? The second one is, what are you passionate about? And the third question is, what are you good at? Because if you have clarity on those, um, then you can kind of live your calling. Instead of having just a job or a career, you can have a calling. So uh, who am I? I'm a servant leader. Uh, What am I passionate about? I'm passionate about making people better making companies better. And uh, what am I good at? I'm pretty good at leading and mentoring. So, you know, I can use that formula. Uh, You know, I can mentor my kids who are now adults. Uh, I can mentor my employees. I can mentor my friends. Uh, I can uh, make uh, my colleagues better. I can make a, you know, a customer's company better. Um, And I could be a servant leader in my household, uh, I can be a servant leader at my church. I can be a servant leader at my company. Uh, so that's kind of gives clarity on, um, you know, when you get up in the morning, wh- why do you do the things you do? 
Yeah. And so what got you where you are today? What is the path you actually took to be able to have that realization today, Tom? Well, I think with most people and myself, it's a series of doors that open and close throughout your life. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure, sure, but, you know, a series of doors open and close as you go through life. And every time a door closes or opens, you kind of look at that uh, with discernment and hopefully with some prayer and, and say, okay, well, is this an opportunity that, uh, that makes sense? Uh, this is something that I should pursue. Uh, maybe look a little bit down the road and say, okay, well, if I do pursue this opportunity, what happens two, three, four years from now? Um, you know, I, I had a, a lot of opportunities to, uh, because I was an expat. So I I uh, lived all over the world for about uh, close to 30 years and wow. uh, primarily in uh, emerging countries and and in uh, and Europe and Eastern Europe and uh, Latin America and other places. And uh, early on in my career in um, in, I would say, the early 2000s, uh, there was, uh, or late nine, 1990s, uh, there was opportunities to send me to China. And, you know, the family and I discussed it. We said, no, it's uh, it's not something that we want to do because it's not a, you know, I don't mind settling down in Portugal or Prague or, you know, somewhere for a long, long period of time. But we just didn't have desire to, to you know, you know, go all the way, you know, across the world. I, I've been to China. I've traveled there. Um, well, actually to Hong Kong, which is not you know, part of China, but. Uh, we had, we never had a desire to live there. So kind of door opens and you say, nah, I'm not going to go through that one. Or another door opens and say, yeah, that, that, that sounds good. Yeah, it's interesting how paths are being set for us and which country we may be visiting. I was reviewing um, through the airline I travel, how many countries I've traveled so far. It looks like I've traveled 29 countries. You know, you end up going to some countries many times because of work. Um, but as you said, as you said, you know, your path is set in some ways for you and you take um, the best advantage from it. And I also heard about gratitude and being thankful for for what what we have. Also, Tom, I want to ask you about leadership and emotional intelligence. I believe I've read some content about your book and some stuff about you where I found a definition where uh, you say that uh, success is multifaceted, recognizing that it varies from person to person. For some, success might be defined by quality of life. For other, it might be wealth or health. You acknowledge that generational differences also play a significant control in how success is defined, with younger generation often prioritizing a balance of life. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Because there's so much going on between wealth, health, um, about quality of life, and maybe looking at younger generation, and maybe you're interacting with them, and you may be seeing things we might not see about what they are seeking for finding this multifaceted work-life balance or achieving success in their own ways. Well, you know, Marcus Buckingham said it best. He said, you know, we talk about a work-life balance. You know, balance uh, is a a point in time where nothing moves, right? You know, you, you achieve this perfect balance and you become stagnant and you go, hey, nobody moved because I don't want to. So um, I'm not sure if that's healthy, right? Uh, and Marcus says this also. So look, you know, uh, life is continuous motion. 
uh, we're constantly moving forward. We constantly, you know, hopefully we're constantly moving forward, not backwards. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm not even sure what, you know, this, you know, the balance means. I, I think I get back to my original, this, you know, original statement. Look, um, if you have clarity on on what you want to do and what success looks like for you, and it's going to be very different for you and me and, and everybody else, um, then you can start making a pathway towards that success. Uh, so so have clarity on on what success means to you. And and like I said, success means different things to different folks. I'll I'll take my two daughters as an example. Uh, one of my daughters um, is very successful in business. Uh, she's one of the senior sales executives in a large company. And um, that's what drives her. You know, what drives her is success at work. Uh, what drives her is uh, all the, the, the fringe benefits that come with being a successful executives. And, and that's what motivates her. So when I get on the phone call, she said, dad, you're not going to believe what happened with this customer or you're not going to believe I, you know, I made my, you know, I blew away my targets for my fourth quarter. You know, they love me. So that that's what drives her. She she loves that. My youngest daughter, you know, said to me very early on, she said, look, I'm never going to be like Nicole because I really don't care much about rising the corporate ladder. Right. You did that. You know, Nicole does that, but that doesn't really interest me. What interests her is natural outdoor activities. Right. So she has a great career as the uh, social media content creator for um, a uh, a company that is a, a, a foods company. It's one of the fastest growing uh, pancake mixes, Kodiak cakes, uh, and she does all this social media content. But but what drives her is outdoors. And, and the reason she picked that company, because that company is all about outdoors. You know, they're, they're about saving the grizzly bears. Uh, um, you know, they all their spokespeople are uh, outdoor athletes, you know, triathlon, you know, outdoor triathlon runners, uh, mountain climbers. I mean, that's who they sponsor. That's who they associate themselves. The company culture loves the outdoors. So she, she fits right in there. So that's what drives her. What drives her is, you know, running a, a 50 mile, you know, outdoor, uh, all-terrain, uh, marathon. That's, that's what she loves to do. Uh, during the winter, she's up in Salt Lake. She goes skiing just about every weekend. So that's, that's what drives her. She loves the, so to, to her success is very different to Nicole. Yeah. Uh, they're both successful in their own, own fields of what they're doing, but they're very different. Uh, so you and I are going to define our success very differently. Um, and if you know what that is, then you can start working toward it. Yeah. I think it's, it's very fundamental because in, in society, I think at some point in, in time, we had potentially a perception of what success is and actually it's very individual. And as we grow in our career or make changes in our careers, we actually find who we are truly. But what I heard is both Nicole and your second daughter have purpose in mind and they're actually really connecting with what is important for, 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 for each one of them. I believe in your book, you mentioned that there are four keys to leadership success. Can you briefly explain what that is? Because in both ways, your daughters have their own leadership success. So what are those keys to leadership success, Tom? Well, you know, let, let's kind of define what leadership is. And, and you know, leadership is not uh, having a title in a company. Leadership is not having a corner office. Um, leadership is really your ability to influence others about what you're presenting. And also... You know, whatever you stand for, I don't know what that is, but um, you're trying to influence other people that you have a better idea uh, and maybe other people follow you. 
you know, you may have a better idea as a coach of a sports team and you want the, uh, you know, the players to follow your ideals. Uh, you know, you, you may be a, maybe just a team leader or a, an aspiring team leader in a large organization and, and you're trying to convince other people or influence other people that you have a better idea. And uh, the four keys uh, that I talk about helps you influence other people. So, you know, other people will kind of buy into you and say, okay, well, yeah, what, what Tom is saying makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the first one is, you know, I mentioned to you already, is who are you? You have to have a very strong idea of what you stand for, who you are, what your values are. Uh, because guess what? You know, if, if you don't know who you are, people look at you and they're not going to know who you are because you're not projecting any confidence on, you know, what you stand for and who you are. And and that's a very difficult uh, way to follow somebody. I, I can't follow somebody if I don't know what they stand for. Yeah. Uh, if if I have clarity on who you are, what you stand for, then uh, I must necessarily will follow you. But there's a chance that I will follow you because I buy into you. Uh, if I don't buy into you, then you know I'm not going to follow you. Uh, the the second key is is really uh, you should and every individual and every great company uh, has a a very compelling vision. Right. So uh, it's a lot easier to buy into you if I know where you're going. Right? So if you have a clear vision and vision is not, you know, somebody said one time, oh, I have a very clear vision. I want to own this house in five years. I said, that's a pretty good plan. <laughs> that's really a vision for your life. It's a great, it's a, it's a great target. Uh, we should all aspire to own our homes in five years, but really vision is something, you know, much longer. Um, the vision for my life is man of God, leader of men. So again, you know, how does that work in my life? Uh, I talked, you know, I told you I go through a series of doors all my life. And every time I came through a, a door uh, that I had to go through, I would run it against that test. It doesn't honor God. And is it a leadership role? And if it's if it fails one of those, then I definitely don't do it. If it passes both of those questions, I may or may not do it. Right? But it, it helps you make those major decisions in your life. And again, if you have clarity on that and you know where you're going, you have a long term future. People can look at that and say, yeah, that looks pretty good. I think I'm going to jump on board. Or nah, you know, I don't doesn't interest me. I, I I don't think I want to follow that. But either way, you have clarity. People around you have clarity. Uh, the third one is called a strategic uh, growth plan. Right? And like I mentioned, everyone wants to be healthier and skinnier and smarter and and richer. So uh, usually growth plans are you know usually strategic plans are growth plans, uh, and that's really helpful because that helps you set the short-term future so your vision helps you set your long-term future the strategic plan you know usually works between one and three years and if you look at any company uh and if you look at their budgeting process you know every good healthy company has a long-term vision and then they have a three-year strategic plan which they break down for next year which will become your operating budget so next year is your budget uh, and then when you come to next August or September, you start working on the next year and you kind of revisit that three-year plan and see what changed and then add another year to it. And then, you know, the first year you're locking for your budget. So that's how large companies or small companies uh, should function. And the key to the strategic growth plan is not to veer off from your vision. You know, there's a lot of companies that see opportunities. They see, you know, the shiny, you know, shiny object, and they kind of go chase it. Or competition is doing something, so since they're doing it, we should be doing it. But if you have a clear vision, um, you can continue to strive for that vision. 
uh, and not veer off on all kinds of rabbit holes and, and tangents, uh, because if you do, you'll get yourself in trouble, right? Um, because it tears you from uh, your long-term path. And then uh, the fourth uh, key is is really who's in your inner circle. Who do you surround yourself with? You know, I, I'm sure you heard this many times. You know, you you become who your friends are. Uh, so surround yourself with people that are uplifting, that are there to support you, um, not people who are there to ridicule you or or you know feel jealous about you or, or said ever uh, pick wisely pick a few i mean you know uh, you really don't need to have 20 30 people in your inner circle but you need more than one mm-hmm. uh, i always say you know 10 there's something about the decimal system i don't know who invented it or why but uh, that's beyond my pay grade but there's something good about 10 you know 10 is a manageable number for any leader uh, to to have in the in the circle, and uh, one of the things that I used to do as an expat, I would go to a different country, you know, country every three years, and obviously the company that took me there, you know, put me into that situation. So that was given. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, okay, I would always find a banker, I would always find a lawyer, right? Uh, those are two people that um, you know I would reach out through my you know circle and and say, okay. Who should I connect with in that new country who's a lawyer and a banker? Because that's, you know, something, you know, I always wanted. Many times uh, we were in emerging countries and emerging countries, you know, sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. So we always uh, plugged into the local Marine Corps. You know, mm-hmm. the local Marines uh, were the ones that uh, protected the embassy. And the thought behind it was, look, if, if there's something going down bad and I'm running towards the embassy, I want to know, you know, I want them to know who my face is. Yes. <laughs> right? So, you know, those, those, you know, they were in my inner circle. So that's just an example. You know, you kind of surround yourself with, with folks um, who are there to help you. Um, you know, obviously you are also there to help them. So it's not a one-way street. It's a relationship. Uh, but that that's really the four keys, you know, know who you are. Great, you know, know what your values are, know what you stand for, have a long-term vision, uh, break that long-term down, vision down to a strategic world plan, surround yourself with the right people. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, all those elements go from long-term to short-term to being with, with people. And so how do you see the role of empathy and emotional intelligence within that frame, you know, how do you build that level of kindness? And you have mentioned gratitude already earlier. Partly when you look at hardcore industry, you know, I mean, finance, I work with financial experts, I work with insurance people, I work with startup founders who tend to, you know, as you said, try to get a vision, but often are very much focused on the day-to-day accomplishment. Look, empathy is a key word uh, uh, because when you're in a workforce, um, you have to have relationships. If, if you know, at the end of the day, uh, we are not people doings; we are people beings. Right? So, uh, we are human beings. We are not human doings. And many of us get kind of caught up in human doing stuff, right? mm-hmm. uh, doing stuff at work, and relationships take a second seat now. Uh, I, I actually made this mistake early on in my career where I said, look, uh, at work, um, I have, you know, responsibilities, I have activities, et cetera. Uh, so I will have work and that is one part of my life. And I will have a lot of fun 
you know, on weekends with, with different set of friends. And um, as I went along, I realized that, that and I think it was uh, Jack Walsh's book that I read straight from the gut that kind of opened my eyes on the first time. And at work, you have to have relationships. And if you have relationships with people uh, where you care for them and um, why not go on a, you know, business working trip and take the wives or spouses along so they can see how hard you work and they can enjoy, you know, part of the world that they've never been before. But the, all these things build relationships. Uh, and if you have a relationship with somebody, then you will have empathy for that person. If you don't have a relationship with somebody and you don't care for them, you're not going to have empathy with them. Mm -hmm. But if you start looking at, you know, your colleagues and human beings rather than human doings, then you will start having empathy for them. So, uh, you know, if, if, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, a while back, uh, one of my marketing, uh, interns, um, maybe it wasn't a marketing intern, but it was, you know, somebody in the marketing department, you know, I, I just could see their face was totally distraught. You know, I was like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Why don't you come in my office, talk to me? Um, and it turned out that her, you know, she just learned that her father had uh, brain cancer. Uh, so you could see that, you know, she, her face was totally distraught, um, that that's empathy right it has nothing to do with work you just see another human being who's on your team and and if you're tuned in uh you could see that there was something wrong with them so you know how much time does it take to invest 10 minutes uh 15 minutes to talk to and not even talk to just to listen to somebody let them you know let them air it out um you know that that's what empathy is and that that doesn't cost you know uh we've had a, a couple of people that did some research and a, and a friend of mine, Kyle and Chris were telling this, when you look at the uh, statistics and data yep. of, of what uh, drives people in a work environment, what engages them, uh, money is number eight. <laughs> yes. Right. Money is number eight. So, you know, we just think that, Oh, we, we're going to give somebody a bonus. We're going to give somebody a raise. That's going to make them happy. Uh, no, uh, yeah, that, that's part of the equation, but that's not the most important equation. And how much money does it cost you to pull somebody in your office and listen to them for 10 minutes? It costs mm -hmm. you zero money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, but the loyalty that's going to build, right, um, is it, tremendous. Um, we, we had another example where one of my uh, marketing guys were, you know, they, they came to my marketing uh, director and, and they said, hey, I got a better offer, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. And my marketing director came to me and said, uh, what do you think I should do? Uh, I said, well, I think you should be honest with the guy. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I think you should be honest with the guy to say, look, I don't have a, I don't have a spot for you right now in promotion, uh, but I'll work with you. Uh, I tried to, I'll try to get you an international position because we're a large international company. So that was a draw for, you know, younger uh, up and coming guys. And, um, and we'll do that. And, and, you know, that actually made us, um, do a little um, exercise and we did mock interviews for all, you know, all these people that wanted to, you know, were thinking about, you know, Lingus, okay, well, you know what, we're actually going to help you. Uh, and, and I took some of my time out and I had mock interviews with probably about a half dozen people to help them prepare. Um, and look, if they still wanted to walk out the door, I couldn't stop them anyway. Right. But the fact that we took some time uh, to care about them, to listen to them, uh, rather than just saying, well, you know, and being irresponsible, say, okay, I'll, I'll give you an extra 20% if you stay, <laughs> you know, and, and not having the budget for an extra 20% you know, salary raise, 
once you give them something that's valuable, it doesn't cost you anything. So it didn't cost us anything uh, other than time, which look, you're, you're there all the time. Anyway, we, most of us work eight, 10 hours a week, you know, a day, maybe more. Uh, so just carve out some time and, and spend some time investing in these people. Uh, and then they'll see them. And, and the fact is none of them left. None yeah. of them left because they saw that empathy, that caring, uh, listened to what the needs were and responding to them. Yeah, that is um, significant, actually, your stat around actually money being only eight on the grade, I mean, the grade of evaluation of people. But at the end of the day, people want to be with people who care for them and people they like. And your example is quite uh, interesting because here in Europe, we are suffering from a talent gap. And, uh, you know, finding great talent, uh, partly in finance, is very difficult, partly with the new technology trends affecting us. You know, think about cyber, AI, all the new technology coming to market. We have a massive talent gap. And so we are trying to retain talent and potentially using all method when we should probably look at empathy and understanding people's values and desires and want uh, to see how we can retain them and uh, make them happier in their work-life environment. Which takes me, Tom, to maybe a little bit more technology questions. You know, when we look at senior leader and senior executive today, everything about my world is around AI and cyber and new emerging trends in technology. And as we are moving into the new year, I would love to hear your views as to how do you balance that with leadership and going to, you know, for a C-suite person and beyond, what should they consider in the upcoming year? Well, look, you can't avoid AI. It's it's there, right? So you can't avoid it. Uh, uh, but again, just remember, we're human beings, not human doings, right? So you can use AI for doings, making it more efficient. Um, but here's the danger, right? The, the, the danger is not, um, the danger is imposing it on ourselves. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it, it makes sense to a lot of people to use AI because I, I've used it, you know, uh, chat GPT, and, and it, it comes up with pretty cool stuff if you know how to ask questions, right? Um, but here's the issue. It makes you lazy. <laughs> it stops you from thinking, right? Because um, you solve, you, you got a, pro a problem, problem to solve. Oh, okay. I'll just ask AI to solve my problem. I don't need to solve it. So the biggest danger of AI is how do we balance using AI because you can't avoid it. It's it's part of you know technology more and more. And how do you balance with that so you don't become lazy? And, um, you know, human beings are, are becoming more and more and more lazy. Um, and it, you know, it, it started with physical, right? If you look at the young generation, uh, they're not fit because rather than playing outdoors sports, a lot of them playing indoor games. So they're physically not fit. Uh, and now with AI, we're becoming mentally unfit right? because we're not thinking for ourselves. We just say, well, and I heard kids say that <laughs> it's like, why do I need to go to school? I'll just ask you, right? Um, but but that's that's it. So so I think it's um, and I don't have the answer by any sense of the imagination. But I think it's finding a balance for leaders to say, okay, you can't ignore AI; it's part of our lives. Uh, but but how do you balance AI without people becoming more mentally lazy? I think that's the challenge for us. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and I I reflect and think about your statement. For me, when I, I talk about artificial intelligence and generative AI, I often look at it and say, you know, it is maybe a very nice virtual executive assistant, right? You still need to think. Uh, you check the data, but you need to check it and you need to evaluate it. But most of all, I think what for me that reflects is that we have acquired knowledge and expertise across many years. In my case, I've worked and I've learned and I've read for 30 years. So when I look at what comes out from an AI model, which is absolutely incongruent, I can spell it out and say, this is wrong. This is not right. And so that is where I think for me, I'm a little bit worried is if there is no knowledge and expertise and experience, it becomes much more difficult to actually understand when a foundation model is going wrong. Could you share with us, Tom, as you've written the book, right, Six Feet and Beyond, some example of leading executives, maybe you've worked with leading companies who have used your method just to inspire our listeners around the possible <laughs> when they actually go and find the book and read it. Well, there's, <laughs> there's hundreds of stories in the book. The, the book is nothing but stories of, <laughs> of, of failure and failure and success, right? Yeah, so maybe um, share a few, of, and, just a few for us to be teased a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't, don't forget about, you know, failure is, is very important. Uh, it's it's just as important, if not more important than success. Um, you know, if, if you don't learn from your failures, then it's just, you know, ha stuff that happens to you. I'm sorry. If you don't learn from your experiences, then it's just this happens to you rather than, um, you know, lessons. Um, so, you know, definitely learn from your failures. Uh, I had many of them. Uh, I, uh, for example, I left the corporate world after... 25 some odd years and I opened my own business and um, I, I thought I could do it myself. And, and look, I ran the business for 20 years. Uh, I'm sorry. I ran the business for 10 years, but uh, it really did not reach the potential that I thought it would. Right. Uh, so I did it by myself. You know, I thought uh, I could do it. Uh, then I, I learned my lesson and I said, uh, all right, uh, the next business I open, I'm going to do it with partners. So I, you know, I opened another business and I opened it with two partners. Uh, but, you know, partnership is like a marriage. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of start dating. You see some signs, but you ignore the signs because, you know, love gets the better of you. And, and then you're married and then, you know, you're multiple years into the marriage and then you're filing for divorce because maybe that's not what you signed it up to me. And that's like a partnership. So I, I learned my lesson from the first, uh, you know, the first choice of, of doing it myself. And I got myself two partners and then. And about, you know, four or five years into it, I said, nah, <laughs> it's not <laughs> wrong <good>. partners, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, and I have another business and uh, I have two more partners and and hopefully these are the right partners because, you know, I, I spent a lot more time in the selection process to say, okay, who do I get in bed with? And, uh, you know, what are their values? And, um, you know, do they share the same values that I share? Do they want to have the same culture that I have? Do they want to have the same? Do they have the same vision that I have? Um, so um, it, it, you know, it it forced me to from from failure um, to think differently 
Uh, and I'm not saying that this business is going to be, you know, successful just because I picked two, you know, because I teamed up with two other guys. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at least I learned to say I got to be a lot more selective on who I become, you know, partners with. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's 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 a learning curve. Um, you know, successes, I, you know, I've, uh, I would say comedy, you know, the, the biggest part of, of my successes is throughout my journey of, of 30, 35 years. Um, and really the book captures stories across, you know, the globe for, you know, for over a period of about 30 some odd years. And, and really is, is getting clarity on those, um, those four things that, you know, I told, I told you about is, is, you know, what do I stand for? Who am I? What are my values? Um, and, you know, look, it was in the back of my mind, but I never kind of quantified it. Right? I never kind of quantified this. Okay. Well, values are pretty important. And what are your values, right? And, um, you know, character. And by the way, a, a, a person's character is the equivalent of a company culture. If you're a company, your culture, the company culture is pretty much the same as what your character is as an individual. Mm-hmm. So getting clarity on that. So all these things were kind of in the back of my mind, but I never had, I never quantified them to say, okay, it really matters. It matters, you know, your vision really matters. Um, your character, a corporate culture really matters. Um, and and just getting clarity and, and you know, a growth strategy. Um, another thing that kind of, you know, in, in re- you reflect on it and say, I don't care if you're a billion dollar organization or you're doing your own, you know, budgets for next year for your household. Uh, you're always going to answer two questions. And that is how am I spending my money and how am I spending my time? Yes. So that's what that's what strategic plans boil down to. How are you spending your money? How are you spending your time? And then kind of putting that in a priority bucket and you make yourself four buckets and, and you put each one of those activities into one of those four buckets. Excuse me. If you want to know what your four buckets are, you got to read the book. <laughs> yes. And you know what? It's a great way for people to get um, to really understand what their values and beliefs are, you know, how we align that with the plan we set for ourselves and the roadmap we actually start building to achieve great results. But I want to come back to your point around partnerships. Because I also had my good and bad partnerships. And you learn tremendously about what you like and what you dislike and what your values are and your expectations on of others. And in my case, is I'm very hardworking and I found it very disconcerting when I'm partnering people who are lazy. <laughs> I can't I can't deal with that. And I found myself in one of those situations where um yeah, I was doing all the work. And then um, when you look at the divide of equity, I find myself with not the equity I deserve for doing all the work and building the company. And so that just puts you into a frame of mind where you get more careful um, with whom you associate yourself with in the future. Wonder whether, I mean, the startups I work with should read the book. But when you look at younger businesses, if there were some takeaways or three tips beside, you know, the, the four key items we have talked about within the book frame, what would be your recommendation for younger businesses to keep them in line with their strategy in times where we see turbulent times right now, the uncertain and volatile times? And so to 
get that prepared for 2024, Tom? Well, I'm not going to invent anything new. I'll stick to a book. I mean, <laughs> it works for me, so it should help you know work for for entrepreneurs. Uh, look, um, don't try to do it yourself. You know, as as a young entrepreneur, you know, many people have the mindset: if I just work 14 or 15 hours a week and I just work harder, it's going to be successful. Um, not necessarily true. Uh, I'm not saying don't work hard because without hard work, there is no you know results. But um, team up. You know, find your inner circle, find those people that can help you um, and not necessarily financially, right? Um, not necessarily financially, just just because if somebody gives you a million dollars in equity to start your business, it doesn't make you automatically successful. Um, I've seen successful businesses that never had startup capital, right? Uh, they found their, they, they kind of sold their product. They found their customer and and started selling first and generated revenue that way uh, and grew the business uh, without borrowing any money. So that, that's certainly possible, right? Uh, now, clearly some business models require sort of capital, but uh, the, the, the moral of the story is find yourself, you're in a circle. Uh, who's there to support you? Who's there to help you? Don't try to do it yourself. John Maxwell said it best. One is too small of a number to achieve greatness. Uh, so, you know, see, so if you're a young startup, uh, it may be family members that will help you, maybe friends, uh, but start building that uh, network and, um, you know, help, help them help you, you know, grow that business. The other thing is, uh, you know, I, I wish somebody when I was 20 years old uh, came to me and said, Tom, what's the vision for your life? Yeah. And if somebody asked me that question, I would have said, what? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's a vision, right? So, um, you know, Dave Ramsey said it best, you know, do you have a cathedral vision for your life? And and the reason he used that visual is uh, in the great cathedrals in Europe, uh, it, it would take two, 300 years to build some of these cathedrals. So imagine, you know, designing something that you knew would outlive you and you would never see the end result. Um so, so have a vision for your life. I, I don't think it has to be, you know, that, you know, drastic, but have a vision for your life because that will help you make those major decisions as you go through road. And, and undoubtedly, life will ask you those decisions. Uh, competition will ask you those decisions. Um, you know, your market will ask you those decisions. So, you know, if you have a clear vision and help you make those decisions, um, you know, I, I, Use Coca-Cola, uh, not that Coca-Cola is a great company, but just their vision uh, and, and their statement kind of just, I, I've i seen it probably about maybe 40 years ago when I was doing, uh, you know, research. Uh, there was no internet back then. You had to actually get an annual report and read an annual report in the library. Uh, and it says we refresh the world, right? It's, it's so simple. It's so profound. We refresh the world. So Coca-Cola is about refreshment and it's about global distribution. It's about the world. So, you know, I could just see somebody, you know, walking into a business planning meeting in Coca-Cola and say, you know, tobacco is very profitable. You know, we, we should get into the tobacco business. <laughs> and, and then all of are going to say, how's that refreshing? Yes. All right. So, you know, have a clear vision and, uh, you know, that will help you, you know, grow. So I, I don't know if those two tips helps, but... Um, I'll stick with the four that I got in the uh, four keys. Yeah, that's superb. As you are speaking, um, Tom, mine is about industrializing and democratizing 
uh, life hacks that I learned from uh, working with corporations and investors and, and startups. So my vision is, you know, if we can actually industrialize, democratize, you know, enable people to learn those techniques that uh, help you create growth uh, system for yourself, you become a little bit more resilient. But at the same time, you mentioned Jack Welch. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about Susie Welch, who started a course around for, for graduates to define who they are. And the course is based on her book called Becoming You. And so there is an alignment here around, let's not keep it too late. Let's start early to really find out what our values are, what our beliefs are, and how we can actually leverage those to create better paths for ourselves. So on this note, Tom, where can we find you? I am blessed and cursed with a last name that's very unique. Uh, if you uh, search for Caresti, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on uh, you know Google, you know you search anywhere and and you search for Tom Caresti, you'll get one. Uh, if you search for Caresti, you'll probably get my two daughters uh, because they're active on social media. And then uh, maybe my sister, who's a retired doctor. Um, so Caresti is a very unique name. Uh, again, it's spelled K-E-R-E-S-Z-T-I. It's a nice Hungarian name. And um, yeah, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Google, you'll, you'll kind of wind up. Uh, either at my LinkedIn page or my website, uh, which is the two most stuff often I use. I'm not, you're not going to find me on TikTok. Uh, I don't post a lot on Instagram. Uh, so mostly you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the easiest way. And just uh, leave me a note. Say, hey, Tom, I got a question for you. I'm happy to answer. Perfect. So, yes, thank you very much for joining me on Scouting for Growth, Tom Kresti. And uh, Let's remember, and I will add as part of the note, the link to the book, which is available on Amazon, C-Suite and Beyond. So thank you very much for joining me today, Tom. Very grateful. Sabine, thank you. And what a great smiling face. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Subin Vidal Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.